So, as we dive in here to the book of Jonah, we're in our fourth week and we're just getting out of chapter one and into chapter two. The title of our sermon series, of course, is Lord Have Mercy, and we're talking about God and His unbelievable mercy and love for us that transcends national, geographical, and historical borders and is manifested through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole book of Jonah, and we'll talk about this in great length today, I want us to see it as something that's pointing towards the cross. All right, it's pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. If you didn't know, you know now that this book, the Bible that we hold in our hand, is a hymn book. It's all about him. All right, the Bible points to Jesus all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and we'll see it in great detail today as we look at this famous chapter in the book of Jonah. But I wanted to start this morning by giving you something to think about. All right, something to think about. All right, if you look in your sermon guide, you'll see it there as well. Something to think about. And the question that I want to ask for you to think about is this. Have you ever had a moment in your life when what seemed like God's punishment turned out to be God's provision? All right, if you ever had a moment in your life when what seemed like God's punishment turned out to be God's provision? All right, I thought about that this week as I was putting the message together, and I can certainly think of a time where God's uh, punishment turned out to be God's provision. All right, so I was saved in 2006, and a year after that is when I got out of uh, professional sports, and I thought, now I've got to get a good career where I'm making good money and I'm living and working in a stable business, and so I moved back north to close to where my parents were, and I got a job working as a marketing director for a network of hospitals. I was making really good money. I was in a very stable industry, but I was absolutely miserable, and I'm going to tell you why. God put me directly under a boss named Patty. Now, you've not met Patty, but most of you have Patties in your life. That one person that does not allow you to have a shred of joy in your work. All right, I worked for her for about a year and a half. And to her credit, okay, to her credit, Miss Patty was going through uh, a time where both of her parents had cancer. And within one year, both of them had passed away. So you can imagine the turmoil that she felt in her own life, and she was also uh, coming out of a very painful divorce. So there's kind of the trifecta of issues, and all that rolled downhill and right on top of me. And for over a year, I struggled. It was awful. I absolutely hated going to work. I'm sure some of you have had these days where you wake up first thing in the morning as soon as the alarm goes off, and you feel like you've been defeated before your feet even hit the ground. Have you felt that way before? I have. And you know, for that whole year, I struggled. I remember when Joel and Liz would come and visit me in Allentown's where I was living. It was the only shred of light that I had in an otherwise dark time in my life. But I learned years later that she was God's provision for me for several reasons. Number one, she was a fantastic writer. And she challenged me every single week to be a better writer. But number two, God used her in such a way that I was to be in in that part in in Pennsylvania for a season, but I was supposed to move on to the next calling in my life. If I had not had that woman in my life, I probably would have stayed in Pennsylvania and I would have missed God's will for me here in Georgia. So what seemed like God's punishment, it ended up being God's provision. It's happened to me, and I'm sure if you look into your own life, maybe in something that you're dealing with right now, you don't realize it. But God in His grace and mercy is allowing you to experience something right now incredibly painful because He knows that that is the one thing that is going to draw you the closest to Him. Think about that in your own life. 
So what's the big idea? What are we looking at here today as we dive into the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2? Well, God is a gracious and merciful Father who will not hesitate to go to any length in order to bring His rebellious children back to Him. All right, let me say that again. God is a gracious and merciful Father who will not hesitate to go to any length in order to bring His rebellious children back to Him. That length that God goes to may be a storm. It may seem like punishment, but ultimately it's His provision because it's the way that He draws us close to Him. And so as we open up the Bible, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Jonah, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. We are going to see the tale of a great fish, but a greater God. All right, so if you would stand out of the tradition of this church and out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, all right, we are in Jonah, the, the final verse of chapter 1, and then we're going to read all of chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you, and we praise you. Father, we know that your grace and mercy transcends our understanding, yet in the moment of pain, in the moment of a storm, In the moment of being inside the belly of a fish, it's hard to see how good you really are. But Father, help us in this time. As each of us in this room contemplates our own life as we read your word, Father, I pray that you would help make application according to your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open up minds and hearts, Father, that people would truly understand that through pain there is grace and mercy and that you are using these situations to draw people close to you. Father, I pray that you would just open up our hearts, open up our minds, enable us to understand and to respond to our understanding in repentance and faith in your Son, our Savior. It's in his name we pray and God's people said, amen. When you think of the book of Jonah, I would imagine this is the passage that you think about. All right, if you've ever had vacation Bible school, maybe for our adult volunteers, possibly you've taught this particular passage. When you think of Jonah, you think about being inside the belly of a fish, right? This is what we think about. But there's so much in this passage. 
I want to slow down, and I want us to work through this thing together. All right, first, here's the first thing that I want to say before I go into point one is this. The reason that I read the end of chapter one and then began in chapter two is because in the original Hebrew, verse 17 is actually a part of chapter two. Um, So these are really linked together. I don't think you could start this passage without reading verse 17 to start things out. And as we look at verse 17, here's the first thing that I want us to look at. Number one, let's look at a divine appointment, a divine appointment. All right, verse 17 says this, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, even in that one passage, let's stop and think. All right, first it says the Lord appointed a great fish. What type of fish was it? All right, if you had to ask any kid in vacation Bible school, they're going to tell you it's a whale, and it very well could have been, but we don't know. Much like the fruit that was eaten by Adam and Eve off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we say it's an apple. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is they shouldn't have eaten it. And what we do know is that that Jonah is very much alive in the belly of a fish. He was a lot bigger than him. All right, that's what we do know. All right, and also we see that the fish swallowed up Jonah. And again, as we first read this story, this sounds an awful lot like judgment, sounds like God's judgment that he would allow a whale or a great fish to swallow up Jonah. But we're going to find out pretty quickly, this is unbelievable mercy. This is the unbelievable mercy of God. And you know why? Because it took the solitary confinement of the inside of a fish's belly for Jonah to stop running from God. Anything else, he would have ran until his final breath. As he was descending to the depths of the sea, Had it not been for this fish, he would have continued away from the presence of the Lord in disobedience to the Lord. So why is this such a blessing? Why is this being inside the belly of a a fish such an act of mercy? Because it's the place where Jonah stopped running from God. And God met him where he was in unbelievable mercy. So then you've got to ask yourself, is it possible... Is it possible for a human being to live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? I want to share two thoughts with you when you think about that. Okay, first, in the 1890s, in an English town called Yarmouth, all right, there was the Yarmouth Mercury News, and they reported a story that a gentleman by the name of James Brantley, who was a British sailor, actually got swallowed by a sperm whale. And, they, and he found him three days later, having survived being in the belly of the whale. And I know this is a little bit gross for Sunday morning, but the whale died of constipation because the, the, him being in the whale is, was not typically what a whale would swallow. Let's just put it at that, okay? But the news reported this story that he was a real-life Jonah, that he lived in the belly of a whale for three days. This was front-page news in the 1890s. Well, since then, in the decades that have come since then, We have seen many historians who've tried to disprove this so-called story. They've pointed out historical uh, shortcomings and maybe uh, fallacies instead of fact. But can I tell you something? It does not matter to me if that story was real or not. It does not matter to me because I don't put my trust in the Yarmouth Mercury News. Jesus Christ himself said that this actually took place. If you mark down Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 40, in fact, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'll give you a moment, all right? Because you're not going to understand this passage if we don't look at Matthew 12. These two things are like hand and glove, all right? Matthew chapter 12, 
verses 39 through 40. Okay, oh, I love that sound. While you're turning there, let me say this. Uh, Out of the generosity of our finance committee in the church, uh, I've, I've been given a blessing to go ahead and order pew Bibles, which they've come and they're in my office right now in boxes all over the place. So I'm going to stamp them and starting next week, they will be in the pews. Now, for those of you who have your own Bible and you enjoy your own translation, that's okay. Continue to bring your own Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, starting next week, the verses that we're reading are no longer going to be on the screen because I feel like that's become a bit of a, a crutch for some of us that we don't bring our Bibles bring your Bibles, and if you don't have one or if you want to read this translation, there will be one in the pew for you starting next week. I'm grateful for our church's generosity, and they're they're seeing my vision for this because I just love the sound of those pages turning. What a a joy it is to me and to the Lord, I know for sure. All right, so you're at Matthew 12, okay? Verses 39 through 40 say this, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So remember how we said that Jonah points to Jesus, right? Well, by Jesus saying that, we know two things. Number one, we know the story is true. We know that a man could physically exist in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights because it came off, it came off the lips of Jesus Christ himself. And if it, Jesus said it, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. The second thing that he does is not only point to its truthfulness, but he points to his own death and resurrection. And, and this happens over and over in the scriptures. This is what's called types and shadows of Christ. All right, remember how I said this is a hymn book, it's all about him? Well, throughout the Bible, we see these types and shadows of a greater reality. This morning in our perspective member class, here's the illustration that I mentioned. All right, and I've said this weeks ago in, in the sanctuary as well. If you remember as a child growing up, for some of you that are over 60 years old, you remember that if you ever watched a sporting event on TV, you watched it in black and white. And then one day, if you ever got a chance to see the sporting event live, you saw it in full color for the first time. Well, that's exactly what the Bible is like. So the Old Testament is like watching truth through black and white TV. Everything you see is real. Everything you see is true. But it's not in its full definition yet. Because God in his love is progressively revealing to us who he is. He's so great that we couldn't take him all at one time. We wouldn't be able to process it. So in the course of 1,500 years, by more than 40 different authors, on three different continents, in three different original languages, God progressively reveals to us who he is. And so in Jonah, we see another what's called shadow of Christ. We see Jonah, who is sacrificed on behalf of the mariners. So he's thrown overboard to save the mariners. And he's in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. And it points to Jesus. Jesus is sacrificed for the sins of his people, and he's in the earth for three days and three nights before, of course, he rises from the dead. All of this points to Jesus Christ. But here's what I want us to understand. Every shadow of Christ, every example or figure of Christ in the Old Testament falls short of who Christ is, and that points to him as the ultimate fulfillment. For Jonah, he died for his own sins, but Jesus died for ours. And that's what we see when we see Jonah in the belly of a, of a fish for three days and for three nights. But, so that's what we need to remember about types and shadows. 
And that's what we need to think about when we think about, number one, a divine appointment. But that moves us on to number two, a distressful call. A distressful call. Look back at the text with me in verses 1 through 5 in chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your, your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet... I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. This is a shift in this book of Jonah. You go from a historical narrative, now you get into poetry. This is a beautiful song of praise. It's poetry coming right out of the mouth of Jonah. And one of the first things that he says is, you heard my voice. Remember I said a few moments ago that what seems like our punishment is ultimately God's provision? Do you feel that and do you know that in your life? What you're struggling with right now in your own life when you pray to the Lord and maybe things don't change as quickly as you wish they could, do you know that He's heard your voice? Especially when you pray in the name of the Lord and you're coming according to the blood of His Son, do you know that God hears your voice? If he can hear the voice of one of his children from the belly of a fish, he can hear your voice. And he knows you. And he knows your cries. And he knows your pain. And he wants you to return to him the way that Jonah is returning to the Lord in the belly of this fish. But not only does, God ret- or does, not only does Jonah return to God in the belly of the fish, what we see in this passage is that Jonah returns to God's word as much as he returns to to God. What do I mean by that? Well, as we walk through this passage, everything he's saying is an echo of the Psalms. All right, in the essence of time, and for those who are taking notes, I'm just going to give you some passages to write down. We're going to go through this real quickly, okay? Jonah 2.3 is almost a perfect match for Psalm 42.7. All right, Jonah 2, chapter 3, or, or chapter 2, verse 3, is a perfect match for Psalm 42, 7. Let me read this. So, so uh, verse 3 in chapter 2 says this, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. We just read that. But it matches Psalm 42, 7. The psalm says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So Jonah is going back to the Psalms and he's reciting them. All right, Jonah 2.4 is a match with Psalm 31.22. All right, Jonah 2.4 is a match with Psalm 31.22. Okay, verse 4 says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Well, Psalm 31 verse 22 says this, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, says the same thing. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. I'll give you one more. Jonah chapter 2, verse 5 is a match for Psalm 69, verses 1 through 2. Psalm 69, verses 1 through 2. All right, Jonah says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Psalm 69 says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
I sink in a deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Over and over and over again. Jonah not only returns to God, but in his distress, he turns to God's word. We should do the same thing. We should do the very same thing. It's not that if we're holy enough that we'll never experience pain. It's not that if we love God, we're never going to call out in pain and and, and distress and lament because the Psalms show us that as human beings, it's okay to be in pain and it's okay to call out to God in distress and it's okay to admit that you're in a situation that is just, it feels like it's overtaking you. But in the midst of those situations, what men of God did as of old and even today, they returned to God's word as much as they returned to God. Jonah's in the belly of the fish and he's crying out, echoing the Psalms, admitting that he's in distress, but knowing he has a God who can hear his voice. This is the reason why I requested months ago that we have a deacon read us a psalm before we start worship. Because if we read the whole Psalter, all the psalms from beginning to end, we're going to cover the entire spectrum of human emotion. And in the midst of us admitting our pain, we always admit that God's even greater. That's what the psalms are all about. And that's what we see when we look at number two, a distressful call. Let us move on to number three, a defining statement. A defining statement. Okay, look back at the text with me in verses 6 through 9. It says, At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who repay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Here's the key statement here. The defining statement is salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So when Jonah is saying these things in this particular passage, he's pointing out, I believe, two major things about the character of God. I believe he's pointing out God's holiness that demands salvation and God's love that provides salvation. All right? Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of God's steadfast love. They've tainted the holiness of God, and they've not received the love of God. But salvation belongs to the Lord. Surprise, surprise, it's an echo of another psalm. Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I begged and pleaded, uh, well, he didn't put up much of a fight, but Jody and I, excuse me, I almost call him Jonah, Uh, Jody and I meet every week to talk about uh, the message of the sermon so that he can match up the music to go along with it so we worship in spirit and truth. And I said to Jody, I said, one of my favorites that you sing, would you please sing When God Ran? Well, I know if you listen to the lyrics, it's a perfect match for the prodigal son in the New Testament, and it is. I mean, make no mistake about it. When they wrote the lyrics to the song, they had the, pro- the prodigal son in mind. But think of, the, think of the perfect similarities, all right, between the prodigal son and then Jonah. All right, Jonah finally comes to himself in the belly of a fish, but that fish is God running to him. He was not running towards God. 
He was running away from God. And we even see in the verses that we just read, if God doesn't show up, Jonah's going to drown. He's going to drown not only physically, but spiritually. He's going to drown in disobedience and despair because he's going further and further and further away from God. And this is the picture of who we are as human beings. When you are born, you begin a race. Whether you realize it or not, you're born into a sinful nature. And the Bible says that we're not running towards God in our life. We're running away from Him. And it's not when we come to salvation, it's not that we started running towards God. It's that we turned around and saw that God was running toward us. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It is a gift to be received. And what an amazing gift that it is. You know, sometimes I think when we share our testimonies, and we should, by the way, everybody in here has a testimony. I don't care who you are or where you're from. If you placed your faith in the Lord, you have a testimony, and you should be proud of it, and you should be ready to share it. Peter tells us to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And I believe we should be ready to give our testimony. But if we're not careful, we could tell our testimony in such a way that we're actually doing God a favor. You know, I was living this way, but then God wanted me so desperately to come to faith that I kind of, I tossed him a, you know, I tossed him a favor here and there by placing my faith in him, and I kind of did him a favor. No. God is always the hero of our story. Always. He's the hero of our lives. Salvation does not belong to us. We receive it, and we receive it as a gift. And we do have a responsibility, by the way, to receive it through repentance and faith. However, it is still a gift that comes directly from the hand of God. That statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. All right, so now we've seen a divine appointment. We've seen a distressful call. And we've seen a defining statement that leads us to verse 10. Number four, I want us to see a dramatic return. A dramatic return. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Those first four words say everything. And the Lord spoke. Reminds me of another book in the Bible. The first book of the Bible. In fact, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. The power of God to speak and creation happens or creation does whatever He wants it to do. When He wanted there to be light, all He had to do was say a word. When He wanted to have living creation, when He wanted to have vegetation and the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, what did God do? He spoke. Last week we talked about fearing a sovereign Lord, and I know some were still kind of processing that a little bit. Because again, I said as a Christian, we no longer fear condemnation, and we shouldn't because we're a child of God, but we should fear God's power. I'm reminded of this every summer in South Georgia when you have one of those unbelievable thunder and lightning storms. I remember being in Excelsior when I had no electricity, when the power would go out, and I just remember just sitting there, and it was the only time I'd ever lived in the country country, and I could go out my backyard and just look at the cotton field, and it just goes on for days, so I could see the whole sky, and I could see the lightning, and I could hear the thunder, and I could tremble at its power, and know that it's more powerful knowing the source that it comes from is God. And that God is to be feared, as we said last week. But think about this. God is so powerful, all he has to do is speak. And things happen. And what does he speak right here? Speaks to a fish. 
And much like the rest of his creation, when God speaks, we respond. And the fish responds by spewing out Jonah onto dry land. Now, this is another miracle, by the way, because a fish that big should not be able to get to water that shallow unless an act of God brings the fish into shallow water close enough that he can be spat onto dry land. God's got his hand all over this. He is sovereignly in control of the whole thing. And what what does Jonah say right before he said, salvation belongs to the Lord? He said back up in verse 9, but I will... But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. So I, I, I just can see, I can, I can see in my mind Jonah just getting catapulted out of the stomach of this fish like a cannonball, landing on the, this dry land, and God saying, all right, you made your vow, now go and do it. Now go and do what I told you to do. What you disobeyed me the first time, you got a second chance, what are you going to do with it? He is an amazing God full of grace and mercy that he would offer us these second chances. And as we'll look at next week, Jonah does take advantage of this second opportunity to do what God has told him to do. He's not perfect, and we'll see at the end of Jonah, he's still got some more repenting to do. But Jonah is a recipient of grace and mercy as he has been given a second chance. And as I'm reading this, I too thought of a psalm. As, as we're pointing to psalms that Jonah is clinging to, I thought of a psalm that I've, I've clinged to in my own life. Psalm 138 verse 8 says this, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I remember <clears throat> when I was youth pastor and I uh, finished up here and headed to seminary, I was at seminary maybe three or four months and there was a youth from Cedar Street, I won't say his name, because uh, I did not get his permission, but he texted me and called me and said, I just, Bo, I don't know what to do with my life. I feel like I can't find a job that fits me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. What do I do? And God led me right to Psalm 138. I said, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for you if you will be obedient to him. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, God, I want your will no matter what, you won't miss out on your purpose for his life. You may have taken a detour. You you may have made a few wrong turns, but he's like the divine GPS. Even if you're out in the middle of nowhere, he can recalculate. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And he can get you back on the same path again. Are you willing to be obedient like Jonah? Because if you are, he will fulfill his purpose for your life. But you have to be obedient That's our responsibility for him. So we've seen the divine appointment. We've seen the distressful call. We've seen the defining statement. And we've seen the dramatic return. So let's sum it up. Let's sum it all up here. All right, we face great problems. But we have a God who is always greater. There are no limits to what he will do to bring us back to him. So are you willing today to see your struggles not as God's punishment, but as God's provision? I want to close with a story. I read this story recently, and I thought, man, what a fit it is with this message. So there's a Christian author named Leonard Sweet. And Leonard Sweet tells the story, and this is a true story, of a Native American tradition. So apparently in this one Native American tribe, any time a young man turned 13 years old, they would blindfold the man 
and they would take him out into the woods about five miles or so from his house, and they would leave him in the woods all night. He wasn't allowed to take the blindfold off till the next morning. So imagine you're 13 years old, you're blindfolded by your father, you're led into the middle of the woods, you hear every crumbling of the leaves, the whistling of the wind, the chirping of the owl, and you've got to be wondering every minute, what, what's out there? What's happening? But they're allowed to take their blindfold off as soon as the first ray of sunshine breaks through the clouds. And what every young man in that tribe would find when they take their blindfold off is this, is they would remove the blindfold and turn around. They would see their father standing about 10 feet away with a bow and arrow. And they would learn that their father had been there protecting them all night. So it is with us. I know there are people in this sanctuary who are in pain right now. And I know that you feel like you are in the belly of a fish. You don't know how you got there. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. But I promise you that if you are obedient to God, you will look back at the situation that you are in right now and you will say, God, your punishment turned out to be your provision. Your punishment turned out to be your provision. Now, as I said in the beginning of our sermon about my story with Patty, my boss, I don't want to go back to that. I don't celebrate that as something joyous. I hope I never work for her again. I don't think I will. All right? But you know what? I'm grateful that I went through the experience, and I know there are other fishes that I'm going to be swallowed by before I go home to be with the Lord. But I want to see them as God's provision. You know, Romans 8.28, I think, is one of the most misunderstood passages. We say it all the time. For all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say everything is good. It says things work together for good. And it doesn't say for everyone. It says for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. So what are our takeaways for today? How can we put this into action? All right? Three quick things and we're done. First, take responsibility for wrongdoing and repent. All right? God graciously blessed Jonah with a fish, but can I say something? It was still Jonah's fault. There still had to be repentance. Jonah was there because Jonah made decisions that led him there. When I, I struggle with this as a pastor, and I even struggle with this as a youth pastor, people come to me and say, why me? And here's what I want to say. There are things that happen to you in life that you didn't do anything wrong. It's just the circumstance of life. All right? So not every bad thing that happens is necessarily your fault. But most of the time, the pain that you're in even if another person is causing that pain, is in part because of the decisions that you have made. And people never want to take responsibility for their own pain. They want to point to other people and say, that's why I feel the way that I feel. So before we do anything else, when you're in the belly of that fish, take responsibility for what it is that you've done to lead you to that fish and repent. Turn away from it. Ask God to forgive you from it. All right, the second, and this has kind of been the thrust of our message, see struggle as a chance to draw closer to God. In a season of struggle, draw close to Him. I remember when I lived on Hiawatha Road in that old farmhouse with a bunch of buddies from Pineland at the very beginning of my journey, and, and sometimes I wonder why I still don't do this. Can I tell you something? I slept with my Bible. Like a boy would sleep with his teddy bear, I used to sleep with it in my arms. I didn't want to be away from His Word for a minute. 
I was drawing close to him. Draw close to God in your moment of struggle. And then third, remember that God's punishment of Jesus was God's ultimate provision for you. That you cannot experience any type of punishment any worse than what Jesus experienced on the cross. And I'll tell you why. Not because of the physical pain. There are some people who could experience a physical death as bad as a crucifixion. Not because of the physical pain. But because on the cross, God enabled his son to experience spiritual separation. All right? Jonah may, be, may have been in the, fish, in the belly of a fish, but he was not separated from the presence of God. Do you know what the presence of God is? It's something we experience every day, even in our worst days. Do you know what the separation of God is? Hell. And by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in him, you'll never have to know that depth of punishment. But let me say this as we pray out. If you've never placed your faith in the Lord, God does love you. And God has made provision for you. But if you will not place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're drowning without a fish to swallow you. You will experience separation from God, and that separation will last for all of eternity. My prayer for those that don't know Jesus, let today be the day that you make it right with the Lord and you place your saving faith in Him, trusting in Him. And if you are a believer, as we pray, the altars are also open to you, that if you're in the season of struggle and you feel like you're drowning, know that God's punishment is also God's provision, that that belly of the fish is a place where you can grow, draw closer to God and that He too will fulfill His purpose for your life. Let us pray together. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you. You are a God to be loved, a God to be feared, a God to be obeyed. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your provision that even in the midst of storms, you send us bellies of fishes to swallow us and preserve us and protect us and enable us to draw close to you. Again, Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would move in their heart in such a way removing the stony heart and replacing it with a beating heart of flesh that they would respond in repentance and faith in your son. And for those that do know your son, Father, I pray they would come to see their struggle as a gift and they would draw close to you in this season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.